Hello, and welcome to the 45th episode of Pulp Today. When I chose the novel I'm going to talk about today, I didn't make the connection between the number 45, the year 1945, the 45th president of the United States, and fascism, and the difference between a public face and a real face, but here we are. It's interesting in this series, I, to me, <laughs> may not be interesting to you, there are authors I love that I haven't gotten to yet in 44 episodes. Philip K. Dick would be one of those. Uh, Roger Zelazny would be another one of those. And Kurt Vonnegut is definitely one of those. And this book, Mother Night, is about a German-American living in Germany before World War II. When Hitler rises to power, he is ready to flee the country with his beautiful actress wife, and he is encouraged by an agent of the OSS, the Allied Intelligence Service, to stay in Germany and continue his day job as a radio personality in Nazi Germany and give pro-Nazi speeches into which they will insert coded messages for Allied agents. Of course, he does this the whole war with great fervor, knowing that he's helping the Allies, even as he is pretending to be a Nazi propagandist. And the war ends, spoiler alert if you haven't read the book, and he cannot find the OSS agent who recruited him, and he is arrested as a war criminal and taken to Israel to be tried for his war crime of being a master propagandist for the Nazi regime. I tell you all that so that the introduction makes a little sense. I'm only going to read the introduction. It is uh, not that long, but I think it's, let me put it this way, it is a moral to the story that I have thought of a lot during the era of social media and particularly of Twitter and of satire that doesn't feel like satire and pretense about who you really are and hiding behind masks. Here we go. Mother Night, Kurt Vonnegut Jr., copyright 1966. Introduction. This is the only story of mine whose moral I know. I don't think it's a marvelous moral. I simply happen to know what it is. We are what we pretend to be, so we must be careful about what we pretend to be. My personal experience with Nazi monkey business was limited. There were some vile and lively Native American fascists in my hometown of Indianapolis during the 30s, and somebody slipped me a copy of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, I remember, which was supposed to be the Jews' secret plan for taking over the world. And I remember some laughs about my aunt, too, who married a German-German, and who had to write to Indianapolis for proofs that she had no Jewish blood. The Indianapolis mayor knew her from high school and dancing school, so he had fun putting ribbons and official seals all over the documents the Germans required, which made them look like 18th century peace treaties. After a while, the war came, and I was in it, and I was captured, so I got to see a little of Germany from the inside while the war was still going on. 
I was a private, a battalion scout, and under the terms of the Geneva Convention, I had to work for my keep, which was good, not bad. I didn't have to stay in prison all the time, somewhere out in the countryside. I got to go to a city, which was Dresden, and to see the people and the things they did. There were about a hundred of us in our particular work group, and we were put out as contract labor to a factory that was making a vitamin-enriched malt syrup for pregnant women. It tasted like thin honey laced with hickory smoke. It was good. I wish I had some right now. And the city was lovely, highly ornamented, like Paris, and untouched by war. It was supposedly an open city, not to be attacked since there were no troop concentrations or war industry there. But high explosives were dropped on Dresden by American and British planes on the night of February 13, 1945, just about 21 years ago, as I now write. There were no particular targets for the bombs. The hope was that they would create a lot of kindling and drive firemen underground. And then hundreds of thousands of tiny incendiaries were scattered over the kindling, like seeds on freshly turned loam. More bombs were dropped to keep firemen in their holes, and all the little fires grew, joined one another, and became one apocalyptic flame. Hey, presto, firestorm. It was the largest massacre in European history, by the way. And so what? We didn't get to see the firestorm. We were in a cool meat locker under a slaughterhouse with our six guards and ranks and ranks of dressed cadavers of cattle, pigs, horses, and sheep. We heard the bombs walking around up there. Now and then there would be a gentle shower of calcimine. If we had gone above to take a look, we would have been turned into artifacts characteristic of firestorms, seeming pieces of charred firewood two or three feet long, ridiculously small human beings, or jumbo-fried grasshoppers, if you will. The malt syrup factory was gone. Everything was gone but the cellars, where 135,000 Hansels and Gretels had been baked like gingerbread men. So we were put to work as corpse miners, breaking into shelters, bringing bodies out. And I got to see many German types of all ages as death had found them, usually with valuables in their laps. Sometimes relatives would come to watch us dig. They were interesting, too. So much for Nazis and me. If I'd been born in Germany, I suppose I would have been a Nazi, bopping Jews and gypsies and Poles around leaving boots sticking out of snow banks, warming myself with my secretly virtuous insides. So it goes. There's another clear moral to this tale, now that I think about it. When you're dead, you're dead. And yet another moral occurs to me now. Make love when you can. It's good for you. Iowa City, 1966. Let us pause, dear listeners, while I take a drink, and you digest. little vodka, little vodka on a Sunday afternoon while I record this. Let's, let's hear that moral one more time. We are what we pretend to be, so we must be careful about what we pretend to be. Once upon a time, like a lot of people, particularly a lot of people who think they're funny, I believed in a thing you might call ironic sexism, ironic racism, ironic homophobia. The thing where you pretend to be that thing so that you can mock that thing. But what I've learned over the years is that the people listening to you engage in your ironic homophobia, your ironic racism, and your ironic sexism is they don't always know the difference. And unless you're very good at what you do, a genius at what you do, no one will know the difference. We must be careful who we pretend to be. Me, myself, on social media, I don't really pretend to be anyone but myself. 
it seems exhausting to try to pretend to be someone else. I do have a Twitter account where I sort of pretend to be my father, but everybody knows he's dead and it's me. You know, the first, I recorded this once before and I've never done this before. I, I deleted it and started over, recorded about a week ago. I got too mad and I got too preachy and maybe I'm too mad and too preachy again. But be careful what you pretend to be. Today's message from Kurt Vonnegut Jr. and me. Think about it. I'll catch you next time. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.